0: The text for this morning's sermon comes from Isaiah chapter 40, the first five verses. Isaiah chapter 40, the verses 1 through 5. This is the word of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the Word of God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now on the second Sunday of Advent. And here at Jubilee, as our Advent series, you could almost imagine that what we're doing every Sunday is we're opening the little door of an Advent calendar. Perhaps some of you kids have an advent calendar at home that you open up some doors. You have one. That's good. I bet there's probably some sort of chocolate or something inside. I think adults can buy advent calendars from the LCBO. You can imagine what's behind those doors. Here on Jubilee, uh, on the morning services, we're opening that little door of the advent calendar, and what we're finding is behind that door is a hymn, an advent hymn. And today we're looking at the hymn, Oh, comfort, comfort now my people. That's hymn 15 in your Book of Praise. Advent hymns are different than Christmas hymns or Christmas songs. Most Christmas songs are nostalgic. Most Christmas songs look backwards. Even also secular Christmas songs do that. So if you hear the song, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know, it looks backwards. And of course, Christian hymns, Christian Christmas songs do the same because nostalgia or looking backward can be a good thing. Looking backward to the birth of Christ is a beautiful thing. Advent hymns don't look backward. Advent hymns look forward. They look forward to Christ's return on the clouds of heaven, to his second coming. And so last week, we looked at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a song that yearns for God's second coming. And actually, the the hymn that we sang as our preparatory hymn this morning, O Come, Thou Long-Expected Jesus. Often we think about that just as a Christmas hymn, but it does uh, speak about the child being born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring, raise to us thy glorious throne. It's a hymn that looks forward to the second coming of Christ. And that's certainly true of the hymn, Comfort, Comfort, Now My People. You can find that on page 384 of your books of praise as hymn 15. This is a hymn that we sing in the time of Advent. It's a hymn that looks forward to the second coming of Christ. And we see that especially in the last half of verse three of this hymn. For the glory of the Lord now on earth is shed abroad, And all flesh shall see the token that his word is never broken. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 40, verse five. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's not just about Jesus coming on the day of Christmas, it's about his second coming when all flesh, when all the earth will see the glory of the Lord revealed. It speaks to that moment that Paul speaks about in Philippians when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a view toward the future. Fleming Rutledge says that Advent is a musical note that comes to us from the future. And so the idea is, is as we open our little Advent door this morning in our worship service, we hear good news Echoing to us from the very sure and guaranteed future, the good news of God's glorious return, the second coming. So we're going to look at this hymn as it's related to the passage of uh, Isaiah chapter 40, the verses 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort, now my people. And I'd like to speak about two things. I'd like to talk to you about the comfort that this hymn gives us and then the response that this hymn asks of us. The comfort that this hymn gives us and the response that this hymn asks of us. So first, the comfort that this hymn asks of us. Verse 1 of the hymn that we are going to sing after this worship service comes directly from Isaiah chapter 40, the verses 1 through 2. If you read the the chapters just before chapter 40 of Isaiah, Isaiah has prophesied about the exile and the captivity of God's covenant people. They're gonna go into exile and they're going to feel the absolute devastation of God's punishment. They're going to pass through a piece of history, a piece of church history where the people feel entirely devastated. It's life-altering, religion-shaking, captivity and exile. It's gonna be the darkest, most sorrowful moment of church history in the Old Testament. And in the middle of that darkness, in the middle of that sorrow, Isaiah comes to chapter 40 of his book and he brings a message of comfort. So let's just look at those verses, verses one and two for a moment. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. That's, that's covenant language. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear God use the expression, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. In Isaiah 9, when he's speaking judgment, he says, go say, th- go s- say to this people. He says to Isaiah, go talk to this people. But now he's saying, my people. And I will be your God. So it's a little bit like when, when my dog at home is, not, is doing something he ought not to, then my wife says, the dog is doing something bad. Or she says, even worse, your dog is doing that. And then when she's cuddling with him on the couch, he says, my dog, or our dog. Here the Lord is, is not angry. He's, he's loving, and, and he's got a, a mission to comfort his people. My people, your God. And he says, comfort. Comfort. There's a repetition that's used in Hebrew. Poetry to, to, to underline the fact that this has to do with intense emotion and, and emphasis, a little bit like when Jesus says, truly, truly, comfort, comfort. They're words of compassion to a hurting people. The words of kindness and gentleness and understanding. They're warm and they're affectionate and they're tender words. Don't we all need to hear more often warm and affectionate and tender encouraging words of compassion speak tenderly to jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended speak tenderly her warfare here has to of course to do with her captivity and exile the hardship the struggle the sorrow the darkness of the soul it's interesting that, that Isaiah says, Tell her that her warfare is ended, but he's just only prophesied that she will go into exile, the people of God. So her warfare is not actually ended yet. But he says, Proclaim already that her warfare is ended. It's this biblical language that biblical authors use to talk about the future in such a confident way, such a sure way. They're so sure that the Lord will do what he said to do that they talk about it as if it's already done. A little bit like the Apostle Paul when he speaks to uh, us in the New Testament. He talks about us being glorified in heaven. It hasn't happened yet, but it's so sure that God will do this that the biblical authors talk about it as if it's already done, tell her that her warfare is ended. So there's a little bit of this, this already not and not yet tension that we spoke about last week, that we have been redeemed and yet we wait for the final redemption of the Lord. We have redemption, but we wait for Jesus to return, to judge the heavens and the earth. And Isaiah is so sure that captivity will be done, and we can be so sure that the Lord will return to put an end to our suffering, that we can talk about it in these words, these words that talk about it as if it's already done. Tell her that her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double there has to do with a sense of, she's received abundantly. That she's, you know, the people of God have received enough punishment. It's it's done, it's over and done with. And her iniquity is pardoned. And that particular phrase in the Hebrew, her iniquity is pardoned, in this passive sense, is only found in the book of Leviticus. And it's always linked in Leviticus to God pardoning his people's sins through blood sacrifice. Isaiah would have understood that as he wrote those words. And then, of course, so it has to do with, with pardon of sins through the substitutionary sacrifice of someone or something dying in your place. And Isaiah picks up on that in Isaiah 53, where he talks about the suffering servant. The Messiah, the Christ to come, he was despised and rejected of men, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for transgressors. And so we look at Isaiah 40, verse one and two, and we say, what's the comfort here? What's the comfort that we talk about when we sing comfort, comfort? What's the comfort of this Advent hymn? And the comfort is this, it's the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the comfort, the tender, affectionate comfort of for God's covenant people, that your suffering and your hardship will end. And that God has laid upon the shoulders of the Messiah, the Christ, the punishment for your sins so that you are forgiven. So that you are forgiven. That it's done. That you don't have to worry about it anymore. That God is making all things new. The comfort of Isaiah 41 to 2, and the comfort of which we speak in, in hymn 15 is illustrated well by the first performance of Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah, of course, is a famous musical piece, and the opening words of Handel's Messiah are from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 Comfort, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. If you have watched Handel's Messiah, which is often played at Christmas time, those are the opening words. In Dublin, Ireland, the Reverend Patrick Delaney, the Anglican Chancellor of Dublin's biggest cathedral, entered the Music Hall of Dublin one cool evening in 1742 for the first ever performance of Handel's Messiah. The place was packed. In those days, women, when they would go out to see a performance, they'd wear those big, huge hoop dresses, and they put a notice out, no hoop dresses because we need to fit more people in. So the ladies took their hoops out, and they went and they packed 700 people into the Music Hall of Dublin for Handel's first performance. People had come there because Handel at this time was a musical superstar. Everybody knew Handel. People wanted to hear any of his new music. And that's why they were coming. But they were also coming for another reason. They were coming because one of the singers in this first performance of Handel's Messiah was a lady by the name of Susanna Sieberg. Susanna Sieber was the greatest celebrity and the highest paid actress and singer of all of 18th century England. Handel had written the Contra Alto parts of the Messiah specifically with her in mind. He knew he wanted her to perform his Messiah. So people were coming to see Handel's work. They were also coming to see Susanna Sieber. And what made it even more interesting was at this moment, Susanna, uh, Susanna Sieber was embroiled in a very nasty divorce and divorce that was public in all of the newspapers and the gossip columns were all full of rumors about her scandalous and sinful behavior because she had run off with somebody else. And so the Dublin Music Hall was packed and people sat mesmerized as the tenors uh, opened up with the sorrowful and the haunting words of Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people says your God. And the Reverend Delani. The Irish pastor, he sat listening and he was deeply moved by, by the music. He was deeply moved by the theology of the music. And the, solo, the soloist alternated with wave upon wave of chorus until the midway point when Suzanne Sieber, the scandal ribbon celebrity actress and singer, sang of Christ from the words of Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected of men A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the Reverend Patrick Delaney was so moved that he jumped to his feet in the middle of the Messiah performance and he cried out loud for everybody to hear, woman, for this be all your sins forgiven thee. Crying out to that actress embroiled in a nasty divorce for this, these words of Christ be all your sins forgiven thee. And that is the comfort of the gospel and the message of this text. It's the message of the hymn we have. That we might be wretched sufferers and we might be dreadful sinners. But for this we are forgiven. That we're saved because Jesus was despised in our place. Jesus was rejected in our place. God punished Jesus so we would not be punished. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Comfort, comfort, O people of God, your sins have been taken care of. They've been taken care of. Do you know that, brothers and sisters, in your heart of hearts, that all your sins have been taken care of? Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God our text says. The word says there is the imperfect continuing sense. In other words, it's not that God says this once, it's being continuously said. And God is saying this to Isaiah. He's saying, Isaiah, go comfort my people. And he's saying to preachers and prophets and pastors throughout all of time, go comfort my people. It's a command to people like myself as I stand here every Sunday, that my job according to scripture is to speak the comfort of the gospel to you. To speak grace to you. And you know at Christmas time, we're all supposed to at least pretend that we're happy. Christmas is supposed to be this happy time where we put smiles on our faces. But the reality is, is that there's many of us here that that are groaning, mourning under sorrow's load. And all the tinsel and all the wrapping paper of the season can't cover up the darkness of our souls. The suffering, the sorrow, the difficulty. So brothers and sisters, are you here this morning? And are you, are you suffering under a load of sorrow? A load of difficulty? Be comforted. Are you suffering under a load of sin? Of shame and guilt? Be comforted. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. There's not just some vague light at the end of the tunnel. I want you to know that it is 100% guaranteed that your suffering will end. So much so that scripture talks about it that suffering has already ended. Are you struggling with shame and with the guilt of sin? It can feel like a burden and it can load you down. And I'm here to tell you that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are covered. They're covered. The Lord has forgotten about them, and so should you. Christ has been born, and he died as a substitute, and he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. He has you covered. It's going to be okay. Today on this Sunday of Advent, we we open our little Advent calendar, and we hear a hymn, and it's a hymn of comfort. Comfort, comfort, now my people. Speak of peace, so says our God. Comfort those who sit in darkness, mourning under sorrow's load. Cry out to Jerusalem of the peace that waits for them. Tell her that her sins I cover and her warfare now is over. The second point of the sermon is the response that this hymn asks of us. First gives us the comfort of God and then demands a response of us. And we look at verses three and four of our our text in Isaiah 40. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. The wilderness or the desert is an image in scripture to talk about danger and death and rebellion, and punishment, and evil, and temptation, and loneliness, and sorrow, and darkness. The wilderness in Isaiah's day is, is, is the exile in Babylon, but it's more than that. The wilderness is more than that. It's all of your life or the parts of your life, or the parts of your mind and heart that are still filled with wandering, and suffering, and danger, and death. The wilderness is The desert is the church's experience of desolation and grief and temptation and ongoing sin. It's the broken, groaning earth and the human reality that we live in. It's the place where the church sojourns, exiled in the wilderness, because the Lord has not yet come for the second time. In the middle of that, Isaiah hears a voice cry. It's the voice of a herald, a voice proclaiming good news that there is a way, a highway is being built. A way of salvation that's going straight through the wilderness, straight through the desert, straight through all your groaning, straight through all your suffering, straight through all your sin. A road on which the Lord is coming, not just coming at Christmas, but coming in his second coming, where he's going to make all things new. So who's building the highway? Who's making this road? Well, in the first place, This is something that the Lord is doing. It's something that God himself is doing. The sovereign Lord in his sovereign power is building a highway to deliver his people because they can't deliver themselves. We need the Lord to lift up the valleys and make the mountains low. He who pardons iniquity, who covers sin, who brings an end to suffering is building a highway through our lives into our reality, so that he might come on the last day to save us all and make all things new. Isaiah 42 verse 16 says, the Lord speaks, I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These other things I do, and I do not forsake them. The Lord is making a road. He's using He's using cut and fill technology. You know what that is? If you've got to create a road and you've got a valley, what you do is you cut from the high spots and you fill in the low spots so then you have a level road. That's what the Lord is doing. All obstacles will be removed. Nothing can restrain him. Nothing can stop him. There will be no traffic jams. Nothing can drive him back. Isaiah 68, which uh, which we sang, In verse 4 and 7 through 8, say, Sing to the Lord, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt Him before him, O God, when you went out before your people and you marched through the wilderness. And the Lord is doing that today, and he will do that when he comes at the second coming. He will march through the wilderness. He will ride through the deserts of sin and suffering. It made me think this week of, the old 1960s song of Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Ain't no mountain high enough, there ain't no valley low enough, there ain't no river wide enough to keep me from coming to you. It's a love song, but you could apply that to the Lord as well. There is no mountain high enough, and there's no valley low enough, and there's no river wide enough that's gonna stop the Lord from coming to his people and making all things new from saving us and redeeming us in the last day he will lift he will sorry he will level the mountains of guilt and shame in your life and he will lift up the valleys of sorrow and sin and he will come and he is coming and nothing can stop him and in him we put our hope it's the lord who builds the highway through the desert but there is a sense in which we his people who wait for him must also prepare ourselves for his coming and respond to his coming and we see that coming out in our hymn where, where we read, Now prepare for God a way. So the hymn is interpreting Isaiah 41 through 5 is that we have to be preparing the way for the Lord. It's not that we bring about the Lord's second coming, but we do have to prepare ourselves for it. And really, hymn 15 is not just a, a, a hymn that speaks of Isaiah 41 through 5. It's a Christian interpretation of Isaiah 41 through 5. And where they're drawing from is the fact that in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, as we read, Isaiah chapter 40 is applied to John the Baptist, who comes out of the wilderness. He comes out of the physical wilderness, and he comes to a people whose hearts are a spiritual wilderness. And he comes to preach and he comes to prepare the coming of the Lord Jesus. And how does he do that? He comes baptizing and preaching, and what is his message? His message is the message of repentance. Turn your life around. Repent and believe. It's as if the John the Baptist calls people to lay themselves open to God's great leveling opera, uh, operation. Relinquish your hearts and your minds to his saving work to live in anticipation of the cut and fill operation that the Lord is bringing. Repent and believe. Turn your life away from sin. Turn your life toward the Lord. Keep your lamps burning as you wait for him. Be a watchman on the wall awaiting his return. Be prepared to meet your God. YOU COULD SAY THAT AS YOU OPEN THE DOOR OF THE ADVENT CALENDAR THIS MORNING. YOU HEAR INSIDE THE CALL TO REPENTANCE. YOU HEAR THIS. FOR THE HERALD'S VOICE IS CRYING IN THE DESERT FAR AND NEAR, CALLING ALL MEN TO REPENTANCE. SINCE THE KINGDOM NOW IS HERE, OH, THAT WARNING VOICE, OBEY, NOW PREPARE FOR GOD AWAY. Let the valleys rise to meet him, and the hills bow down to greet him. Verse 3 is the same thing. Then make straight what long was crooked, make the rougher places plain. Let your hearts be true and humble, as befits his holy reign. What is the proper response? of a human being when God cuts and fills the path of salvation through the wilderness of our sin and suffering? What is the proper way to live as Christians who await and who yearn and anticipate and sing about the second coming of Christ? The appropriate response is humble repentance. Humble repentance. Fleming Rutledge says it this way Our entrance upon the Advent life means taking a good long look, not at someone else's deficiency and faults, but at our own. That must be our response. Obeying the call of John the Baptist in our own day, obeying the call of Jesus himself, repenting and believing, preparing. God away by letting our hearts be true and humble. You hear that that same wise advice in other songs that we sing in the Christmas season. I think about the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, fall on your knees in worship and in repentance and in humility. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord walk the highway of God in repentance and in humility and in worship. So brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I declare as scripture tells me to, the comfort of your covenant God. The Lord has forgiven your sins. The Lord has forgiven your sins and he is putting an end to your suffering. He's lifting up the valleys and he's lowering the mountains and he's building a highway through the desert of sin and suffering and nothing can stop him and he's coming back, he's coming back and he's gonna come back and he's gonna wipe the tears from every one of your eyes if you believe in him. He's gonna wipe away all your sorrow and all your suffering. He's gonna come back and judge the living and the dead and he's gonna vindicate the church of Christ and he's gonna make all things right Be comforted. And so I also call you on the basis of scripture to respond to that call. To respond in faith. Repent and believe, brothers and sisters. Heed my warning voice this morning. Repent and believe. Let your hearts be true and humble. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And all flesh will see the token that his word is never broken. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, fill us with the comfort of your grace. And may we be found ready and waiting for you when you return. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, Amen.